Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Save Our Planet podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Guido Verbist, the General Manager of Revolve Recycling, a pioneering company dedicated to recycling and redeploying bikes, e-bikes and scooters in Australia. This episode is so interesting, so fascinating. I feel like we had a lot in common, but a lot to discuss as well. So I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to get straight into it. So nice to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk so much about recycling, but also about your journey and how you got involved with Revolve Recycling. So what was the inspiration behind your transition from the Bauer to tiny homes to now literally recycling? Well, how long do you have? <laughs> it's a long journey. It has taken many years. So yeah, the Bauer is an organization I have been uh, leading for eight years. When I joined the Bauer, it was a, a small, local, community-based organization and primarily managed with volunteers. But it had all the uh, ingredients, in my opinion at least, to become a leader, a trendsetter for what is now called the circular economy back and this is now 10 years ago the the term circular economy was kind of not yet known widely and and definitely not used regularly so we we started with the power introducing some programs where we looked at more than just giving back to communities some some goods who were in need of those goods we also wanted to demonstrate that there is actually an industry behind that can be transformed and where items can be given a second life, can be repaired, the life can be extended with some skills, with some knowledge, with some uh, changes in how, first of all, they are designed, but definitely also in how you treat them and then uh, get into repairing them. So we introduced many programs around that idea, the repair cafes, uh, what we introduced into Australia in 2014, we opened the first in the, in the Bauer in the, in the Marrickville store. And now I think there are more than 100 repair cafes Australian-wide operating. We also introduced repair services for furniture, for electronic appliances, bicycles. And then also the tiny house course that you already mentioned is something we introduced. So where you Again, demonstrate that second-hand material can have a second life, that it can be even turned into a very nice product, which was a tiny house and which was a trendy thing at the time as well. And we always try to grab those opportunities to bring items and ideas to the public where the public is interested in and at the back of which we could then also talk about 
the benefits of doing it with second-hand, with recycled material and the whole idea of circular economy. So that's what I've been doing during my eight years at the Bauer. And at some point I thought there's need for more structuring this circular economy model, the ideas around uh, turning it actually into a financial sustainable business model, not just an environmental sustainable model, but also financially. And um, I found it within the Bauer context difficult to continue with that. There was kind of a bit of opposition and not the, the fully support anymore. So I thought it was time to look elsewhere to move on. And this is where, when I also met you, that I was talking about the profit for purpose element, which I think is an aspect of circular economy that was uh, and still is to a certain extent undervalued because I think private initiatives and private businesses can also contribute to the circular economy. It shouldn't just be from the not-for-profit sector. And again, it all goes back to what I think is essential that you not just demonstrate it from an environmental but also from a commercial perspective that what we preach is doable and find ways to commercialize the circular economy models and that they become sustainable. So, and I was uh, at that time looking at an, an opportunity to do just that. And the founder of this organization, Pete Schmichel is the name of the founder of uh, Revolve Recycling, was actually looking at a person with my interest and we found each other in that idea. He uh, invited me to run it, and uh, so I started uh, from scratch with the building of this business, and yeah, the whole process of the name, the image, the stories, the programs, the initiatives we would take, and all based on finding ways to, to make it commercially sustainable. So I did the first couple of months, a lot of research and surveys and modeling, financial modeling, to see how we could turn it into a financially sustainable model. And I think now two years down the track, we can say that we are getting there. In fact, for next financial year, we will be able to turn 100% sustainable. So we are on track with what we had set out. Gosh, it is very exciting, and I'm sure that there has been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone on behind the scenes because I feel like it is one of these tricky things, and I think you raise a really good point there about kind of the value of the circular economy and how it's kind of not really seen right now in the Australian market and people don't see the value in paying for what they deem to be a right. I feel like recycling is often seen as a right and something that they are entitled to rather than a service. Yeah, and it is. there are still some challenges and some um, trials and, and programs needed to develop it further and ideas that would uh, help. It's, it's always very important to bring the, the good ideas and the good brains together. But I found it for myself important that we not just preach what we say, but we also can demonstrate it, that it works. And that's where I think uh, my, my key, my main interest sits in, in finding ways, developing new business models to demonstrate that it is sustainable. And it is important from both the side of the, us as, a, as, a, as communities to, to see that it's possible, but also from for investors, for the economy. We need to be creative there and find ways to make it possible. So, yeah, I see that as my 
main interests why I'm doing this. No, it is very interesting. So for our audience who haven't quite heard of Revolve Recycling just yet, could you please explain what the inspiration was behind creating a company focused on recycling and redeploying bikes, e-bikes and scooters? Yeah, and this is where all the credits go to uh, the founder, Pete Schmeichel. It's his idea. And he, as a bike enthusiast, had kind of, and he you should also know his background he has been the ceo for accor the australian council for recycling organizations a nationwide umbrella organization for all recycling businesses so and throughout that time he had identified that there was actually nothing at scale to recycle and give a second life to bicycles when the rider or the original owner didn't need it anymore for whatever reason. So that's where he thought there is a need and an opportunity to create an organization, a service for all of those that would like to do the right thing with their bicycle when they no longer need it. So that was the the idea, divert as many from landfill as possible and give them a second life. And the research that we then started doing confirmed basically that nationwide, on an annual basis, there are close to uh, 350 bicycles that people will no longer need annually, year after year. So for the next 10 years, we know that there are three and a half million bicycles that will either go to landfill or thrown away unless there is an organization like ours that can rescue them and give them a second life. And with the e-bikes that now are trending and becoming a bigger and bigger segment of, of the bicycles, the challenge there is even bigger because there you not just have the, the metal and the rubber and all of those elements that needs to be uh, given a second life or at least recycled. There's also the batteries now, the e-batteries, the lithium batteries as they call them, which are a hazard in many ways and create additional problems. So we knew that there was no real solution at scale for any of that in Australia and not even the knowledge on how to do it. So and that that's the challenge we set ourselves as a business. And that's what we are now on a daily basis, developing models to give as many life back to all of those bikes as possible. That's in short what the business stands for. It's huge. It's huge. And I'm sure that there are so many kind of different facets and things like that that we can talk about today. But what I really wanted to kind of delve a little bit more into was kind of like the service itself and how it works. Say, for example, I'm one of these 3.5 million people who's got a bike at home that I no longer want to use. What's the process? Do I give you a call? Do I log it online? How does it happen and how does it work? Well, both of what you said are ways to do it. You can call us and we have an online booking system and we come out to pick them up. We have our own truck to go around town. We do it with uh, areas like north, south, east, west on a, on a weekly basis. And then when you are based in one of those areas, we will let you know in advance when we will come out to pick it up. Currently, we still do that at no cost, but at some point we will have to find a way to cover that cost as well because that's actually to give you an example of one of the key things here we have already 
collected more than 5,000 bikes in the first year. So there is a huge opportunity. And the fact that we could collect in one year time 5,000 bikes proved that. But it cost us roughly $10 per bike to collect it. For And that includes everything from uh, the announcement, from the marketing around it, from the administrator behind the scene to plan the, the runs with the truck, the driver, the truck itself, all of that brings it down to roughly $10 per bike that we collect. Now, if you would just recycle the bike for its materials, the metal or the rubber, you get at best $7 for the bike. So there is a loss per bike that you collect if you would just do recycling. And that's also why the benefit or the the exercise was sitting in finding ways to create an added value to those bicycles that we collect and the main and the first and the most important way to create an added value is by giving them a second life. So we have then set up a whole industry here with bicycle mechanics and a workshop with all the tools and, and the parts you need to pick those bikes that are worthwhile giving a second life. And that's where all the expertise and the knowledge comes together then that to be able to pick the right bike knowing what the value of that bike is, of the different components of the bike, what time it would take to get them repaired or replaced, uh, the cost of those parts, and what ultimately the end product will look like and the value of the end product and how much we can get for that and get a surplus and an income that covers our costs. So all that knowledge is brought together in that uh, service we provide to give bikes a second life and a new life which is the essence of the business model. And then uh, we have been selling in the first year, I think it's more than 500 bicycles that we have already sold. And, and the pricing is between 200 and $300 largely for most of them. There are those exceptional, even up to 1000 and more dollar bikes that we have. But again, that's credit to the mechanics that can see the value of the bike and know what, what what it's worth, and then we will either auction them or, or do some special activity around it. But yeah, that, that's the knowledge, that's the expertise we have developed and are now able to scale up. And that's where then also the the element of circular economy and, and turning it into a sustainable business model comes together, that you need to scale this up to get the sufficient income to cover for all your on cost, your costs for infrastructure, for equipment, for staff, etc. So that's that's the main service, but we do a few more things. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. But I can imagine, so these mechanics that you've got, these really experienced bike mechanics who can kind of look at a bike and go, yes, I can refurbish this. Yes, we could get two to $300 on the market. But I assume that they would have to also spend some time refurbishing at that. So you've not only got the cost of picking that up, you've got the cost of the labor that's involved. You've probably got spare parts, 
bike oil, new chains, all of these bits and pieces. So while somebody can go, oh, wow, that's great that you were then able to sell that bike for $200, it's about also those the amount of time and resources that have gone into the refurbishment as well. Yeah, you're exactly right and spot on. And, and that's all part of this expertise that we have uh, developed. Um, what I also can say for the mechanics that work here, they have to be willing to think outside the box. Because in, in a traditional bike shop, like in many industries, people will, or, or the, the engineers, the mechanics, uh, will prefer to sell you a new bike and not bother too much about repairing because it's time-consuming and, and the profit margin is, in their opinion, not high enough. So here we make that our niche to do exactly that, looking into how you can give it a second life. And that's the thinking outside the box that we that is essential for that. And you have to have mechanics that want to do that and are becoming experts even in that. And that's then, yeah, what you're saying about the value of the parts, the time it would take to fit those parts, that's where they are becoming the experts. Um, we do also disassembly of bikes when the bike is in itself not good enough to give it a second life, but it has good components. And again, picking them and knowing which ones are the good components. To give you an example, Shimano is one of the big brands for bike parts, for gears and brakes, but they themselves have different tiers and different levels of high quality and lesser quality and cheaper thereby. So again, knowing those differences, what the different brand name stands for, is all essential to be able to do a proper assessment of the, the time and the cost to get a, a bike ready for a second life. And then keeping those spare parts, and we use them ourselves, but we also sell them. So that's all part of this skill, this package of the service that we have developed, and that is now the, the core activity of this organization yeah and i can elaborate on all the other facets of the business but this is the core of the business no it's amazing and i wish we could kind of see this kind of starting to be rolled out across so many other industries so i'd love it if you could share with us some of the kind of real success stories or the big initiatives that revolve recycling has undertaken in terms of recycling and redeploying what impact have these specific initiatives had yeah well <laughs> it's a long list i can go through but two things I, I think are important in terms of impact to focus on here one is the average weight of a bicycle is 14 kilo and um, we are currently close to 100 ton of bicycles that we have diverted from landfill uh, by keeping track. In, and that's in, in just over one year, a year and a half, that we have been able to do that. So in terms of diversion from landfill and rescuing uh, material, it's huge, the potential that is there. That's one number. The other is the CO2 avoiding that we do, CO2 that is produced when you build a new bike. And that is currently, according to the European standards, 96 kilo CO2 that every new bike is generating. And so every time we rescue a second hand bike and give that a, seven, a second, a new life, there is 96 kilo saved. And, and again, there, I think we are over the 100 ton already. I think it's close to 120 ton of CO2 that we have a uh, kind of 
diverted or, or not had to be produced because of the bugs, we gave a second life. So that, that's the impact that we have. There's also employment impact, jobs we create for people with disadvantaged backgrounds and, and staff in general. We have six staff and almost 50% of them are, are people in disadvantage, with disadvantaged backgrounds. So that, that's the impact we have made so far. And where I think that, that we only have been scratching the surface because the, if you know that there are so many bikes out there, we can grow and, and the word of mouth will spread further and further. After Sydney, there is a Brisbane, Melbourne, Auckland, etc., where we over time probably will move into and, and, and set up departments of, of our business here in Sydney. Wow. Yeah, that's one of my next questions was kind of like, how are we going to get this to more people? How are we going to expand? How are you going to be able to offer this service? Yeah, everywhere else, because I can just see such demand for it. And I know Sydney is somewhere that kind of obviously quite a few people ride bikes, not too many people ride their bikes, which is probably why you guys end up with so many of them. But that's what I wanted to know is kind of what what are the plans for scaling? What needs to change and what needs to happen? Yeah, well, um, we want to further fine-tune the, the model that we have developed and are implementing and executing now before we take it to other places. So we want to be 100% confident that actually what we had set out for and, and how we want to do it is indeed doable and sustainable over time. I think after next year, we should be in that situation to to expand that and, and start operating elsewhere in order uh, capital cities. Melbourne is a, has a bigger bike culture than Sydney has. So there is already some activities there and whether we will do it on our own or in partnership with existing organizations that is still to be seen, but there are asks and interests from many of those uh, capitals, Brisbane included. Has already, we have contacts there, people that said that they are willing to help us. So from that perspective, I don't think there is going to be a problem to move to other places. It's, it's more the issue of when are we ready, that we feel that our model is ready to uh, expand it and uh, establish it in, in other capitals. But yeah, well, I probably should also say is we, we are still looking at other aspects than just this main activity, which we call the, the individual uh, household people and, and bike riders that we are currently working with. We are actually also looking at working with bike shops and the uh, bike fleet operators or bike share operators, uh, because they also have issues with bikes that come to the end of life and, and the recycling of rubber and metal, etc., for the bike shops that can be organized better. And that's a service we are developing and that we want to have ready at scale as well. And again, once that is ready, we can move that to other capital cities as well. So that that's all part of what we are developing as a business model. And once it's all ready, we will take it to other places. 
Wow. No, I'm just in awe. It's amazing. And it's some ambitious goals and some big targets, but I believe that you are the team to get it done. So if our listeners are inspired by this conversation and they've got a bike at home that might be a little bit rusty and might not have been used for a couple of months, what is your advice for them about literally getting back on the bike? Well, they could bring it here. Uh, or we can pick it up and have a look at it. That's the mechanic's task. They do it with every single bike that comes in here, the 5,000 so far. They have checked each of those bikes individually to see if the bike is worthwhile holding on to and, and, or not and at what cost. So, and that's even a service we provide to individuals that have a bike that for whatever reason they would like to keep it. We, we can assess it and give them a quote for the cost to get it back ready and safe to ride it and um, up to the individual then to decide if they do that, the cost, I mean, or where they would say we, we, we leave it and buy another one that is already ready. And like I said, the prices are between two and $300, which is roughly one-third of the price of a new bike, a similar new bike of a similar value. So we do that also deliberate, keep the price affordable so that more people can get into biking and, and um, have a positive experience. Because there is an, that's maybe another aspect that would be worthwhile flagging here when people want to get into biking and, and have more of an impulsive reaction there to, yeah, I want to bike for this weekend when I go for a trip or on a holiday. And they might end up buying a cheap bike from one of those retail outlets where you buy them in a box, what we call the big box bikes. Shops like uh, Anaconda, Kmart have many of those bikes. And they cost also $100, $200, same price as ours. But the condition, the quality of those bikes is very different and, and a lot less than a reputable brand like the Trek, the Specialized, the Avanti, Apollo bikes, Giant, etc. That's well known, the difference in quality there. But it's attractive if you just need something for a weekend to buy a cheap bike, but it doesn't last. There is even in the US a campaign under the title Built to Fail, which is set up by mechanics there, and they uh, have some research done and, and have discovered or concluded that most of those bikes don't last longer than 90 hours and then you have to basically be a miss for that bike and it's a waste of money it's a waste of resources and bad experience that people get so they, they are actually campaigning to stop building those uh, bikes and here in Australia it's 50% of the market those type of bikes so that's one of the big issues we would like to see addressed and for which we are campaigning and talking to politicians and argue for the introduction of what is called a a bike product stewardship scheme like you have that for many other products already but not for bicycles and it would basically make it mandatory that uh, those who manufacture the bikes are also responsible for what happens with the bike at the end of its life and that they put some money aside, invest in recycling or over time even in building bikes that last longer and don't need to be recycled that early on. 
So and that's what a product stewardship stands for, for minimum quality standards, standards that should be respected. And that, that's what we hope over time that we can introduce here in Australia. And that will help the consumer enormously. I love it. I love it. I would love to see product stewardship rolled out across many different industries, including this one. So I finally want to ask you one question that I ask all of our guests, and that is what is one thing that our listeners can do tomorrow to help save our planet? Well, the main issue, the main threat to the uh, planet and to keep the planet going for a little bit longer and, and keep people on the planet healthier is um, the what they call the climate change that needs to be tackled and the CO2 emissions that has to be brought back and stopped. So in whatever role you are operating, wherever you are, do some further research on what are the CO2 emissions, what is the climate impact of what you do. And Anything that helps there to reduce that, where it is moving from a car to a bicycle or from a, a fuel car to an electric vehicle, all of those things, there are many ways. It can be in your food consumption. It can be in how you heat up your house. There's so many options where you can uh, make a difference. And it starts with informing yourself, being aware of, of what the impact is of what you do. So doing some research, and there is online a lot of information about what the CO2 emissions are of, of products or lifestyles or activities you are participating in, and then look for the one that fits within what you do, where you can make a difference. That would be my recommendation. And wherever it is and in whatever way you do, you do it, it will be helpful. Amazing. I couldn't agree more. I like that. Personalized advice because it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Thank you so much for joining me today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.